you like to be victorious? Now, did you know in order to do that, you got to prepare to do that? Now, Joe Jackson is here and, 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 and played for the Minnesota Vikings. And did you guys just, just, you know, lay around all week before a Sunday game, didn't do anything, you know, showed up on Sunday morning and thinking, or wherever you're going to be is thinking, we're going to have fun and play ball. Didn't happen. You prepared for that all week. Well, well you know, we, we got to prepare for victory. And this is what... Joshua chapter 5 is all about helping you to prepare. You know, when I was getting ready to get into it and reading it in the first nine verses, I was tripping out and says, oh, man, I'm going to have to deal with circumcision. No, not. Everybody's going to forget what I'm saying. They're just going to think of that procedure. And the truth is, is that that was only a symbolic act, a mark of a covenant that God had with Israel. Because there are other nations that did this. But for Israel, this was a covenant relationship in which they had with God. So there are three things that we were going to talk about. We started last week, and we got through the very first one. The very first step of preparing for that victorious life to be in victory is renewing the Lord's covenant. There's times that we need to get, well, refocused. We Sometimes what we'll do, we'll turn our phones off and turn them back on so that they could boot up again. Maybe what we got to do at times is that we got to turn everything off around us and, and we got to boot up again to be able to get things in its proper perspective. Reminding ourselves where our first love is. Do you remember when you just accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Some people remember that very clearly. <laughs> I don't. Because I grew up in the church, I slept on and under the pews. But this is what I do know, is that I'm sure, and I do remember, that every time that preacher preached, at the end of that service, I felt like I was going to hell unless I was at that altar. And I was at that altar every Sunday. Oh, Lord, forgive me for breaking my crowns, you know? Oh, no. Because I thought... I got to get things right here. Well, we need to be reminded how serious this relationship is and, and what he wants to do. And, and can I say this? I, I, I was talking to a gentleman this weekend, and, and the idea is, is that we, we forget faith. Our faith is something in which is dealing with works in our life, isn't it? Faith without works is. And so, so if there's that, that nothing going on, you're not sharing Christ. You're not serving the Lord. I mean, oh, you may read your Bible at home and you pray at home, but if you are not actively serving him, that your family and people around you know who you are in your walk in Christ, Maybe your faith's dead. And there's no faith then. 
Because in the end times, as we're saying, there's people that came in the very presence of the Lord. He says, depart from me, work is iniquity. And he, he says, well, you know, I never knew you. He said, well, but we said, Lord, you know, Lord, in your name. But there was nothing else. That name isn't abracadabra. Everything's fine. He's the Lord and Savior. So that covenant, that covenant relationship that that he wants us to have. So now let's get into the second step in, in dealing with preparing for that victory. It's remembering the Lord's goodness. Now, Philippians 3.13 tells us, forgetting those things which are behind. And that's good at times. We do need to forget that stuff. I, I, I get a little bit worried about sometimes when, when people, the only thing they talk about is how bad they were in their sinful life, as though it's a badge of honor, you know. Sometimes you need to put that in the past and start talking about the goodness. Maybe saying, I praise God, he delivered me from that, but not brag about it. Because see, this is what Moses was doing in his, his address to the nation there of Israel, is that he was reminding them that they once were slaves to Egypt and God delivered them. I need to know what God delivered me from. That's why there's such a great truth that was built into the Passover feast is because Israel was remembering what they were delivered from. They were never to forget that they were redeemed people and set free by the blood of the Lamb. Forty years before they went into the promised land, Israel celebrated a Passover on the night of their deliverance out of Egypt. Then they also celebrated that Passover in Mount Sinai. You read about that in Numbers, the ninth chapter, before leaving for Kitty Spurnia. But that's where things turned because they weren't obedient unto the Lord. They could have entered into the promised land, and they chose not to. And there's no evidence that they remembered or took part of a Passover any time during those years in the wilderness. The fact that that new generation was, wasn't circumcised prevented them from participating in the Passover. God temporarily suspended his covenant relationship on them. That's frightening. I, 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 I said something a while back to someone, what's the worst thing that God could do? And he's, oh, punish me with this and that and another thing. I, I says, no, I think the worst thing that God could do is let me unto myself. Because that's not good. He broke... He says he suspended that covenant relationship. But even in the midst of that, this incredible loving God, he, 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 um, he provided water in the wilderness. He, he, he gave the manna to eat. I mean, they had room service every morning brought to them right outside their camp. 
that loving God watched over them yet. But even though a whole generation of people died off in that wilderness because of their disobedience. Now listen, the death of Jesus Christ is typified in the slaying of, of the Passover lamb. We, we understand that. The blood of the lamb. Jesus was that lamb that was crucified for our sins. And his resurrection typifies the wave offering. You go, the wave offering. You see, what the wave offering was, and we, in times maybe we forget about really the meaning of some of these feasts. It's the first fruit feast. And in, in, in that wave offering is what would happen is after the Passover, the priest would go into hiding. And then when they would go in hiding, they would for three days. Then after that third day, they would come out of that hiding and they would go out into the field and get the first fruit of that harvest and wave it before the Lord. Hmm. Now, wrap your mind around this. When Jesus was crucified, then was buried. When he came out of that tomb, we read there in Matthew 28, verse 1, it says, After the Sabbath, the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb because they were going to anoint him with oil. But here was Jesus. Can you imagine how much they loved him? They wanted to touch him. He says, don't touch me. Why? Because... After three days, he had to go before the Father. And I don't know if he waved his hands in a wave offering. It says, we conquered death. Then he was able to come back. Hmm. That celebration. Then after that, that, that resurrection, we, we see that it's a picture of that death and resurrection. Romans 6, verse 4 says, We were therefore burned with him through baptism in the death, in order that just as Christ was risen from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. See, after the Passover, there was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That unleavened bread was, was a symbol of, of sin. And, and that it was be no more in their life because of the victory of what God was able to do. And when Israel entered the Canaan land, it's interesting because now they were circumcised. Then they, they had this, this, this harvest, this barley in which they were able to have because when they would conquer these people, there would be the, well, what they were able to take because they left it all. What I love in this is this, in studying this, it's just, there's nothing in the Bible that is coincidence or by chance. So they were able to have this unleavened bread. And in Psalms 23.5 says, And the Lord prepared a table 
for his people in the presence of their enemies. Do you know, wrap your mind around this, do you know that the promised land was an enemy territory? We think the promised land, milk and honey. Man, we're going to be on the beach, putting our toes in the sand. It's going to be great. They were in enemy territory. So, so the idea is that the promises of God's blessings in our lives, don't think that everything has to be humpty-dory. Everything is going to be good. Is that, that God shows up when we are in enemy territory and what he's able to do. On the day after that Passover, something happened that was very intriguing then, is that the manna ceased. Wow. Because God says, you're going to enjoy the fruits of the land now. Yet, yet here's, here's what's interesting, that the Passover reminds, reminded the Jews of that redemption from Egypt, and the manna reminded them from their desire to go back to Egypt because they really didn't like the taste of it. In Exodus 16.3, would, um, would to God that we had died by the hands of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we, um, when we sat at the flesh pots, then when we did eat beyond the eat bread to be full, wow. And, and, and here's what they were eating in the manna. As God fed the people the bread of heaven, the food of angels in Psalm 78, verses 23 through 25, and yet they still wanted to go back to Egypt. You see, times God could easily remove them out of Egypt, but it was difficult getting Egypt out of them. I've said, what do you have when you have a drunk who got saved? You have a saved drunk. Now, times he delivers them totally, completely. And there's those times that they fight the battle. And, and there, what we need to realize is that he does not want us to go back. Listen to Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. If then you were risen with Christ, with Christ, set those things which are above where Christ is sitting on the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. Using the imagery, Joshua was reminding them to keep their eyes, their minds, and their hearts focused on him. The harvest is another image of that death and that resurrection. It is that seed that is planted in the ground and it dies and it brings forth the harvest. See, that very first step is so very important that we are reminded about what is good about God. With, with this pandemic and all the craziness that is around us in the world in which we live in today, 
There's a whole lot of talk about a whole lot of stuff. And maybe what we need to do is that we need to be talking much more or only about the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the wonder of God. Turn the evening news off and listen to some great worship music. Because you don't want to know how many people has died day by day by day by day. You know, it's kind of depressing. I want to know the goodness and the love of an almighty God who is able to be there for us. So, renewing of the Lord's covenant. And the second step is reminding, remembering the Lord's goodness. Now, let's have some fun here. Let's get into that third step, that dealing with that preparation of victory in our lives, reaffirming the Lord's presence in Joshua 5, verses 13 through 15. Joshua has read the book of the law, what Moses had said to the Lord after they had made that golden calf. If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Now, maybe after they, maybe he should have said, I leave these people to you. But he was lining himself with the people and said, we're not going anywhere unless your presence goes with us. He was reaffirming that. And Joshua understood this. Like his predecessor, Joshua refused to move until he was sure that the Lord's presence was with him. Let let me share something with you about that pre-incarnation appearances of the Lord Jesus recorded in the Old Testament. To Abraham, the, the pilgrim, the Lord came as a traveler to share a friendly meal. That's in Genesis, the 18th chapter. To Jacob, the schemer, he came as a wrestler to bring him to the place of submission there in Genesis 32. And, and to the Hebrew men, he met them and their companions in a fiery furnace in Daniel, the third chapter. And to Joshua, He made him as the captain of the Lord's army. You see, church, we're being reminded, even in the Old Testament, and more so now in the New Testament, which we're living, is that the Lord always comes when we need him, and he is always there. You know, Joshua had to be encouraged when when all this was coming and he met this presence. Because leading these people had to be difficult in everything that they were doing. The things that he asked them to do had to be challenging. He had he told all these men, the, the army before they were going to go into battle in Jericho, I'm really going to disable you. Every one of you are getting circumcised. Now, wearing a mask may be one thing. Being circumcised is another thing, you know? 
And, and so those things can be challenging when, when a leader is asking the people to do something and it's difficult. It kind of shake them up. But he knew that he wasn't alone. This past year and a half, maneuvering this church through 2020 and into 2021 has been the challenge of my ministry. Because I have people who are very fearful of their lives because of the craziness of, of the pandemic. And then I have other people sitting in these pews that are, well, not heeding the warning at all because they're not really that concerned about that because they don't believe it, that it's that bad. Now, it makes no difference that that one is right and one is wrong or both is right or both is wrong. It's what people believe. And when they believe those things, there's a decision that a leader is making is this is what I'm asking you to do. And when I ask you to wear those masks, majority use it right on, Pastor. And there's others saying, I don't like it. I understand, but I thank you for that cooperation. But then, because see, God honors obedience. And the other thing is, is that this 2020 and 2021 and the chaos of the whole political realm that we went through. I have in these pews those who believe one party is right and the other is wrong and vice versa. And they're all here. And from time to time, they want to tell me what I need to know and really kind of hinting what I need to say. <laughs> then we have the chaos and the whole racial issues. It breaks your heart. But my job was to feed you spiritually. It wasn't to get caught up and the issues of the pandemic or the issues of politics or the issues of the race. And, and, I, and I know that those are all very important. But what does the word of God have to say to us? And the thing that I think that, that Joshua felt as he was maneuvering this whole tribe into that promised land, Tell them things that had they had to do, which really probably didn't make a whole lot of sense to them at the beginning, is that one thing he knew is that they were praying for him. And I got to tell you, family of God, you in this congregation, you watching online, I felt those covering prayers. I probably have, have heard the word of the Lord speaking more clear and louder in this past year and a half than I have ever felt in all the years of my ministry. And knowing as that, that presence showed up with Joshua that he was not alone. And I want you to know, church, that we are not alone. You are not 
alone in everything that you are going through. Because his word tells us that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And the Lord met Joshua as the captain of the Lord's army, whether in heaven or on earth. The Lord of hosts' army is with you. The God of Jacob is our refuge in Psalms 46, 7, 11 tells us. Then I'm sure Joshua recalled the song Israel sang at the Red Sea and out of Exodus, the 15th chapter, the Lord is the man of war. The Lord is his name. I so appreciated Joshua that, that he, he had this courage to stand up against this presence. Because, you see, there is no compromising here. Are you for us or are you against us? He wanted to know what he was dealing with. Because we cannot compromise in the world in which we're living in, in the walk that we have in Jesus Christ. There is no room for compromise. is the very sin that will consume you in the end because it will destroy everything that is around us. It will corrupt everything that is within us. And God wants us to be a people of that confidence of knowing that I have that covenant relationship with them. I am remembered the goodness of God. And then moving forth of understanding that there is a presence that he wants us to experience wherever we are. In a Christian ministry, great public victories are won in private, in private as leaders submit to the Lord. I don't think that the Israelites knew or everyone knew about this encounter that Joshua was having with this captain of the army. This was a personal encounter in which he is having. Can I, can I tell you sometimes is that those victories in which God wants to have in your life, that preceding that, there's going to be that intimate encounter. There's times in which you rest in the very presence of an almighty God. There's times when you wait upon him. It's like the 120 in the upper room. It did not happen instantly. Day after day after day after day, they waited Maybe they had to work through some things. Then it happened. God, God wants us to wait before him. He wants us to have that, that covenant relationship and that goodness of God being reminded of what he's doing in our lives. And he wants us to seek that presence. And when we say, Lord, I am not making the move until I know you are going with me. And when I do that, it makes no difference that I am, even though I'm in the promised land, 
but I am also in the enemy's territory. But the battle is the Lord's. It is his. A Chinese Bible teacher, Watchman Nee, wrote this. Not until we take the place of a servant can he take his place as Lord. Not until we're willing to serve until we're ready to leave, lead. God wants to have a relationship, and he wants us to know that there is that presence that is in our lives that we could count on. Because he's reminding us that he didn't come to help Joshua out, to add to Joshua. He came to lead Joshua. Listen to this. His word says in John 15, 5, without me, you can do nothing. We as parents, we can't do it without God. You may have a master's degree, a doctor's degree in children's behavior. You can't do it without God. We as grandparents, we can't do it well without God. We as followers of Christ, no matter how long that we have done this, he says, I want you to walk in awareness of my presence. Because in that presence comes that courage not to compromise in the things of the world that is around us. Because the things of the world around us, as important as they may seem, can be a distraction to what God actually wants to do. So I ask you, are you seeking his presence? Joshua, his first order, the Lord's first order to Joshua was to reveal to him that he was standing on holy ground. He kind of related that to the one who's before him, Moses, dealing with the burning bush. Joshua was standing in heathen territory. And yet, because God was with him, he was willing to stand on holy ground. What happens when, when we're going through the challenges of our lives and we become aware of the presence of God Everything around us, our perspective of what we see and look at begins to change. My mind says, look at the craziness. Look what you're going through with your own health issues or your own financial issues. Look at what's happening with the family. And on it goes. We have all those things that our mind begins to remind us of. And then I come into that presence of God of realizing that he is in charge, not me. He's going to lead me through this enemy territory. I'm going to have those victories after victories after victories that he gives us. Because see, here's, here's something that is interesting. Is 
There's no such thing as really sacred or secular or common or consecrated. And you mean, wait a minute, Pastor. Because see, First Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verse 31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. What he's saying, no matter where you are, no matter what is going on, you could be on the top of the mountain or you could be in the very depth of the valley. Do it for the glory of God. And, and some things could be so absolutely, well, not that religious. But you see, it doesn't matter. Everything that I do, I do for the glory of God. And who knows how he's going to respond to those things. So the sequence here is very significant. First, humble worship. Then the holy walk, and then heavenly warfare. And, and there is a spiritual posture here. Is there something that he's wanting us to do? First of all, Joshua first bowed his knee. And Ephesians 3, 4 tells us to kneel before the Father. Because I align myself up of reminding myself who's in charge. And when I do that, it doesn't matter that I'm in enemy territory. It doesn't matter that everything around me doesn't look good. The challenges of our life is happening. I'm reminded that I am on holy ground because he is with us. The second thing is that he submitted to a holy walk. He humbled himself. Humbling ourselves is not always the easy thing to do. Even in our Christian walk, we kind of get, we can get kind of proud. And it's him who's doing all these things in our lives. And then he wants us to realize that the battle is the Lord's. But we will be in, in the battle. It doesn't ask us to back away from that battle. Because he told Joshua to conquer, to move forward. So when you think that you're going through a warfare and you're asking yourself, what am I doing wrong? Why am I going and experiencing this? The truth of the matter is, is that because that first of all, what you did is that you bowed before the Lord, you humbled yourself, and the Lord has said, now I'm going to place you in this battle because now you know that my presence is with you and I am going to show you something for the glory of God. Hey, I'm always, when I read his word, when that man was at the, that came before the disciples, says he's blind all of his life. Who sinned? And it was for the glory of God. If I was the blind guy, it says, hey, I was blind all my life. And, and I went through this. For the glory of God, yeah. 
Because you see, my friend, is whatever he's taking us through, he's going to show himself through us and be glorified through us. And it may be tough going. But on this side of heaven, it's a speck in a sand. There's so much more for us. Though he slay me, as Job said. That is so much easier to say than to do. But when I do, there is that peace in the midst of the storm that I'm able to have. There is that confidence when he says, Move forward, Joshua. Now it's time to take Jericho. <laughs> and in two weeks, we're going to get into that story. And you're thinking, can't we just storm the walls? His ways are far higher than ours. But I love his ways because when I'm in his presence, it's like those, the wings of God just wrapping around us saying, you're safe. There was a young man who wanted to go for a walk with his child. And, and he was small and he was put him on his back in a, in a holder that the infant was able to be in. And he was going out into the woods and it was just a great day and the start of the journey. And once he got the furthest that he could go, these storm clouds came. And it started to rain, and he started to run back to his home, and that wind blew the little hat off the child, and the rain was hitting that child, and he swung that child around in him, and he held that child to his breast. He says, it's going to be okay. Daddy knows the way home. I want you to know, family of God, we may be in a storm, but it's going to be okay because he knows the way home. And we're going to get through this. And we're going to experience God's favor. And he's going to be glorified in our lives. Because he's saying, take time. Know where you are because you're on holy ground. He wants to do something within your life. Trust in him. Then when I do that, when I have that covenant relationship restored, when I'm reminded of the goodness of God, even in the midst of the challenges around us, and when I reaffirm that presence of God, I could tell you victory is at hand. Whatever is going on, wherever you're going, because he is with you.